from each of you uh, to please uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. This psalm, uh, the long psalm, 176 verses, is all about the value of God's holy word in the life of the believer. And uh, Psalm 119 uh, consists of 22 parts, each corresponding to one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, And so we've been taking this psalm section by section. We come today... uh, to the third of those sections, it's verses 17 through 24, Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. Let's hear God's word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's now uh, seek his face once again in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for... Uh, your holy word, we thank you especially for this psalm which instructs us in the value of your word. And Lord, we pray that the psalmist's words would become our own, would indeed become the passion of our hearts, that we would be those who delight in your commandments and seek to walk with you all of our days. Use your word this evening in our lives for Jesus' sake. Uh, amen. Bible teaches that the Christian is a pilgrim or a sojourner or a stranger who is walking through uh, this land. Just like in this world, if a person is a, a foreigner or a stranger, a pilgrim in a particular land, it means that that land is not their home. That's where they are now. That's where they're walking through. That's where they're living. But it's not their home. So it is for the Christian. We are in this world presently, in the midst of what the Bible calls this present evil age, but our home is in heaven. Our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven. From heaven we await this Savior. It is even now heaven where uh, uh, the Lord himself uh, dwells. We uh, have partake, partaken of spiritual blessings that are ours in the heavenly places. That is our uh, true home. And Psalm 119, in the section that we have, views the Christian, the believer, as a sojourner. We see that in verse 19. 
I am, he confesses, a sojourner on the earth. This was the attitude of Old Testament saints. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that this was Abraham's posture as he walked through uh, this world. That Abraham lived, but he died in faith, not having received the things promised. Hebrews 11.13 But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that he was a stranger and an exile on the earth. Verse 16, but as it were, he desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Like Abraham of old, or as Peter even addressed those Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1 as the elect exiles, we indeed are strangers, pilgrims, exiles in this world. The world is not our home. Heaven is our true home. And we need to cultivate this spirit of the pilgrim. Now, as the pilgrim walks through this world, one thing that is true is that the Bible needs to be the pilgrim's constant companion. Okay, just... uh, As a golfer might have golf clubs as his constant companion, or a construction worker might have his tool belt as his constant companion. So the Christian, if he is to walk through this life as he ought, needs the Bible as his or her constant companion. How firm a foundation. We're going to sing it later. Ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he get? What more can he say? Or what more uh, uh, can he say than to you? He has said to you who, for refuge to Jesus, have fled. It is the Bible which sustains our fellowship with Almighty God as we walk this pilgrim path, and that's what I want us to see: the Bible as the pilgrim's true companion uh, that we have in this in this verse here. Uh, Three, there are two different headings that we're going to have. First of all, in verses 17 through 20, I want us to consider three things that are needed for the Bible to be the pilgrim's companion. Three things needed for the Bible to be the pilgrim's companion. Secondly, in verses 21 through 24, we're going to see three ways that the Bible serves as the pilgrim's companion. So three things needed for the Bible to be the pilgrim's companion, and then three ways that the Bible actually serves as uh, the pilgrim's uh, companion. Well, first of all, three things that are needed for the Bible to be the pilgrim's uh, companion. And the first of those three we find in verse 17, and that is the Lord's bountiful grace. If we are to walk this pilgrim path as we ought, with the Bible as our companion, we need, first of all, the Lord's bountiful grace. Notice that that's his prayer. He says, deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Uh, David here doesn't plead his own merits. He doesn't speak here of his own accomplishments. But rather he pleads that God would deal with him in his grace and mercy. He acknowledges that what he needs 
more than anything else is, is grace. And that ought to be the Christian's plea constantly. What we need from you, Lord, is more and more grace. And that's not a presumptuous plea to plead for God's uh, mercy because it's God's delight to show mercy. God reveals that he's a God of grace and mercy. What is the gospel but the gospel of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ? Why was Christ sent into this world? It was because of God's unmerited favor towards sinners. Why did Jesus die that cursed death on the cross? It was God's unmerited favor towards sinners. Why has the Holy Spirit come and taken possession of our souls? It is because of God's grace. And dear friends, if the Apostle Paul himself would, can emphasize on nearly every page of Holy Scripture that he is what he is by the grace of God, that it is by God's grace, it is by God's gift that he lives and he works and he has salvation, dear friends, that ought to be our plea and our theme as well. What you and I need is God's grace. You need that if this is the first day that you're a Christian you need that, that if this is your 10th year as a Christian, if this is your 50th year or 70th year or 90th year as a Christian, still your plea to God ought to be deal bountifully with your servant. Do you realize that you are continually in need of the grace of God? Grace to pardon you for your sins, the sins that you've committed yet again today. Grace to quicken you unto obedience. Grace to sustain you amidst your trials and sufferings. Grace to comfort you when you are sorrowful and depressed. Grace to equip you for kingdom service. You can do nothing at all apart from the grace of God. And that's what he says here. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live. And by live here, he's not just simply talking about physical life. Now, we live physically by the grace of God. But he's even saying more than that, spiritual life. It's the life worth living. Deal bountifully in your grace with me so that I might live in fellowship with you and I might keep your word. That I might walk with you. It is this grace which is needed in your life and in mine. And that's the first thing he says. The first needful thing is the Lord's bountiful grace. But the second thing that we need for the Bible to be the pilgrim's companion is the Spirit's illuminating power. We see this in verse 2, or excuse me, verse 18 and verse 19. The Spirit's illuminating power. Do you see this prayer? Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 19, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Here he desires that his eyes, his spiritual eyes, may be wide open to the wonderful things that are found in the word of God. Uh, the word here for uh, opening is that idea of unveiling. It's removing a covering away. It's the same word that was used of Balaam. The Old Testament, uh, it's the removal of a covering so that we might see aright what is, what is out there. The point is, is that the Bible is a wonderful book. God's law is 
a delight. It's wonderful. There are wondrous things that are contained in a holy scripture. We just need eyes to see it. Some people will sometimes say, non-Christians especially, uh, well, the Bible doesn't make any sense. Or they might say that the Bible's boring. Uh, The Bible's uh, ordinary. It's uh, just a bunch of myths or fairy tales or anything like that. There's all sorts of things that are said about the Bible. Well, the fact is that the Bible's not any of those things. The Bible's wonderful. The problem is with the people's spiritual eyes. That's the problem. We need eyes to understand the Bible's truth. And even as that is true for the unbeliever, needing God's quickening, regenerating grace to see any value in the Scripture at all, so it's true of the believer too. So often we are dull and uninterested as we approach God's Word. Our minds easily wander. We don't see value in it. We we are more interested in other things other than the Bible. There are days that we don't say, oh, the wondrous things that are contained in the law of God. And what's the problem? The problem is with our spiritual eyes. And so this prayer needs to be our constant prayer. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Is that your prayer daily? You know, that's why we pray before we preach God's word, a prayer asking God to enlighten us, to be our teacher. Do you do that on a daily basis? Lord, open my eyes today. Lord, help me to love your word today. Lord, give me an understanding of uh, the Bible. And dear friends, that's the kind of prayer that the Lord is delighted in. Answer. You see, to understand the Bible, to truly understand it, and to live by it, isn't a matter of natural ability. I've known some of the smartest people in the world that are ignorant of the Bible. And it's like the book means nothing to them. And I have also known some of the simplest, plainest people in the world who truly understand and value and delight in the riches of God's word. What we need is God's enlightening grace. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Make that your prayer. Dear friends, we need the Spirit's illuminating power. But the third thing that we need is the soul's passionate longing. The soul's passionate longing. Verse 20, my soul is consumed, he says, with longing for your rules at all times. C.H. Spurgeon says that true godliness lies very much in desires. What is it that we desire? It's a mark of uh, godliness. And here he says, The soul is consumed with a longing. His desire is for the Lord's rules. It's for the Lord's commands. That's what he uh, desires. And it's a desire that is not a passing desire. He says, for your rules at all times. So the Christian life is not simply to to be lived on uh, just a, a brief emotional high. Sometimes we're like that, right? We get interested in one thing, maybe a hobby or Uh, some kind of pursuit, and and we follow it maybe for a a few months or even sometimes a few years, but then we lose interest in that. We go on to something else. 
Then something else piques our interest or catches our, our eye or whatever. We move from one thing to another to another. Well, dear friends, it ought not to be that for the Christian. We ought never to move beyond God's Word. Lose interest in it. But rather, we ought to have a longing to know God's Word. We need to pray that God would give us that steady, constant longing to know more of His Word. That we would seek to put His Word to memory. That we would read the Bible. That we would desire to hear the Bible preached. Do you have a hunger for more of uh, the Bible. It's at the heart of what true godliness is, that you would long to know and to hear more of the Word of God. We had a very uh, godly woman in our church in Mississippi. Uh, she was one of the most uh, active, zealous Christians that I've ever met. Uh, she had a fervency to her love for Jesus Christ. She had a desire for evangelism, a love for the souls of people. She was giving herself an almost constant activity of, of service to, to, to other people. But you know, behind it all, behind this life of godliness, was a real love of the Word of God. She had her Bible marked up. <laughs> she studied her Bible. She meditated upon it. She delighted in the preaching of the Word of God. That, that's what stood behind or her life of godliness. And so it is for us too. Might the Lord cultivate in our hearts a, a longing, a desire to know the word of God. Children, do you have that? It's one of the marks of, 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 of a real life with God. Pray that God would give you a desire to know his word more. To study it. To hear it. It's full of wonderful riches. Wonderful things. Might it be your soul's passionate longing that you can say with the psalmist, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And you know, the more that you desire to know God in his word, the more he will make himself known to you. Uh, Matthew 9.29, according to your faith, Jesus says, be it unto you. And that's so often the case. It's according to our faith, our desire for the Word of God, He will answer that request and give us what our soul longs for as we long for Him in His Word. So those are three things that are needed. If the Bible is to be the pilgrim's true companion, we need God's bountiful grace. We need the Spirit's illuminating power. We need the soul's passionate longing for more of God's Word. But now I want us to move secondly in our sermon uh, to three ways that the Bible serves as the Christian, as the pilgrim's companion. Three ways that the Bible actually then serves as the pilgrim's uh, companion. We find this in the final four verses of our psalm today. Three different things that the Bible does for us along this pilgrim path. And the first of those is that it warns us of pride's danger. It warns us of pride's danger. You rebuke, verse 21, the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. That word for insolence is, is the idea of pride. It's those who rebel against God. And dear friends, as we walk along this pilgrim path, we walk amidst a world 
that is dominated by a proud, rebellious spirit. We live among, daily, we live in the midst of a society that is turned against God, that has ignored God's commandments, that looks to mankind as the measure of all things, that thinks that we have enough resources to live well in this world. It's all about people and the things that we've accomplished and the things that we can do and the, and the way that we want to live. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Chart your own course, we're told. Accomplish much in this world and all of it's without reference to God. Friends, that's a prideful spirit. It's a proud spirit. And the Bible's clear God's attitude towards the proud is when it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Think of some of those who have been uh, the proud of uh, the Bible. A Pharaoh was proud. He would not let those people go, the Israelites go. And what did the Lord do but drown him and all of his armies in the Red Sea? Haman. The book of Esther was proud, puffed up his own accomplishments. He wanted to be first place. He ended up hanging from the gallows, which he himself had erected. Nebuchadnezzar, you'll remember, was a proud king, exalting in uh, the territory, the kingdom which he had made. And it becomes like a beast of a field. The Lord humbles him in that way. Herod. In the New Testament, you'll remember, was a very uh, proud man. The crowds cry out to him, the voice, not of a man, but of a God. He delights in it. Immediately, Herod is struck down. The Lord gives us a warning against the proud. Okay? Pride is really the chief and the root sin of all. It's a dangerous sin. It takes, as it were, the crown from God's head and it places it on our own. When a person is proud, he or, he or she becomes, as it were, their own God, glorying in their own accomplishments, following their own will, having no reference to God and His ways. And that's what he's saying. That it's the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your uh, commandments. And one of the things that the Word of God does is it teaches us Beware of pride. Beware, dear Christian, of the danger of pride. You live in a world, you walk this pilgrim path in a world where everyone else is proud. Might it not be so of you, but might you be one who at every moment is acknowledging your dependence upon God and seeking to walk according to the light of His commands. Beware, beware of a rebellious, proud spirit against the God who has made you for Himself. So that's the first way that the Bible is our companion. The second way is that it comforts us amidst persecution. It comforts us amidst persecution. We see this in verse 22 and 23. He says, Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your uh, statutes. Do you think that you see the situation that he's describing again as a pilgrim walking through this world? He acknowledges that the world is often turned against the believer. That's exactly what we were looking at this morning, was it not? We don't need to go into all the details. 
Just as we saw this morning, the church in Smyrna and the, the suffering they experienced, the persecution they received at the hands of uh, God's enemies. So it is true for us in this world. But when we suffer in this way, what should, we, what should our attitude be? We need to have a singular focus upon the Word of God. It's the Word which will uphold us. Let them say what they will. Do people mock you? Do they make fun of you? For your allegiance to Jesus Christ, do they think that you're backwards? Do they think that you uh, um, are old-fashioned? Might it be that you'd have a concern, above all else, for pleasing the Lord? Be focused on the Word of God. Why is it so important that we are focused on the Word of God? Well, again, it's the Bible. It's things that we saw this morning. It's the, the Bible that will... Uh, direct us to the glories of our Savior. It's the Bible uh, which will comfort us with God's words of promise. It's the Bible which will hold out for us the hope of heaven. It's the Bible which will assure us of God's uh, sovereign care. And we need to be careful not only to read the Bible, but then to keep it. You see, that's what his concern is. In the, while he's being persecuted, his attitude is, Lord, help me to obey your word. I've kept your testimonies. I'm going to meditate on your statutes. And it's while we keep God's commandments that God then will give us a clear conscience He will give us the assurance of His love and of His favor. You and I will experience a closer fellowship with God. and You and I will live a kind of life that brings glory to God. So amidst persecution, might it be that your focus is on the Word of God. Don't worry about what the world thinks of you. Have a singular eye for God and for His glory. Stay close to His Word. So it comforts us amidst persecution. But the third way that the Bible is the the pilgrim's companion is that it counsels us along life's path. You see that in verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. He says, they are my counselors. They are my counselors. You see, we all need counsel. When we go through this word, where do you get your counsel from? Again, the world offers many counselors to us. The media, in many ways, is seeking to be our counselors, telling us advertisements which tell us the things that we need, the values that we should possess. The media trying to shape our, our priorities in life. Perhaps friends and family often are our counselors. But do you know, in reality, they don't know any more than we do usually. I mean, it's good to have, again, wise and godly counselors, but but they aren't our ultimate counselor. Okay? Many people just kind of go walk according to their own counsel. Whatever seems right to them, whatever seems best to them in the situation, they try to just think hard and do what I want to do. That's their counsel. See, all of those counselors are ultimately insufficient because you and I have not merely a word from man, but a word from the living God, and it's contained in the pages of Holy Scripture. We have a heaven-sent book, and that book needs to be the counselor of God's people. 
You have a book that is given to us by God from heaven. And it's exactly the book that you need. Will it be your counselor? The Bible is what tells us of the priorities of the Christian. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It tells you the sins that we ought to avoid. It speaks to us of the activity and the evil of, sa- of Satan and it, it encourages us to watchfulness along the way. The Bible reminds us of the hope of heaven. It warns us about the danger of sin. It tells us of the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ as a Savior. It tells us of the powerful activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It tells us of the importance of the church and of the fellowship of God's people. It tells us about the way that we ought to seek unity and seek peace and have a forgiving spirit and be gentle with one another. The Bible gives us direction and counsel on every page and we ought to go to it and Lord say, lead and guide my life by your holy word. This is the path of true wisdom. It's exactly the counselor that the pilgrim needs. So again, I ask you, do you value the word of God in this way? If you are a Christian, you are a pilgrim. You are walking through this world to heaven, which is your true home. The question is, are you going to do that with the Bible as your sure and constant companion? Cry out to God for his grace. Plead with him for the help of his spirit. Long to know more of him in his word. And when when you do that, he will warn you against pride. He will comfort you amidst persecution and he will counsel you along life's path. Might we delight in God's word in this way. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, your word is so valuable. We we even feel that uh, the words of the preacher today, Lord, uh, don't begin to do justice to to the glories, the riches of your invaluable word. Lord, we pray that you would convict us of sin, the ways that we have treated your word as an ordinary book, the ways that we have thought that we could uh, understand it on our own, ways that we have placed uh, reliance upon our own works and our own merits. Lord, we, we confess all of these sins and we say we need you. We need your word. We need it to be our our counselor and our guide, Lord, so easily we go astray. We wander off the path that we ought to go. Help us to delight in your commandments and to rejoice in all of your statutes. Lord, make us to love your word. Bless us, Lord, as we go through this week. Might your word be our constant companion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. We're going to sing now the hymn, uh, How Firm a Foundation Ye Saints of the Lord is Laid for Your Faith in His Excellent Word. It's hymn number 94.